2: marriage and relationships.
1: Please check us out online on our Facebook page and Instagram at Couple Synergy, or visit us on our website, Couplesynergy.com. And be sure to subscribe to our podcast or send us any suggestions on topics you'd like to hear more about. And now on to Couple Synergy, an in-depth look at love, marriage, and relationships, where we bring you our experience helping thousands of couples transform their relationships for over 20 years.
2: You know, everyone says you should work on your relationship, but nobody teaches us how. So we've created this podcast to teach people what they can do to create the relationship they've always dreamed of.
1: With the partner they fell in love with. Today on our podcast, we welcome our special guest, Dr. Juliana Lyles. And she is a veterinarian who has touched our lives personally. And she is, I know we talk a lot about relationships when it comes to couples and families and You know, today we're talking about the relationships that we have with our pets.
2: You know, you hear people talk about their pets like my fur baby or, Mm. Mm. you know, my grand fur baby (laughs) kind of stuff. And I really hate that we don't have language for that because I've had children and I've had dogs. It's not the same thing. No. In fact, there should be a special word for what animals do for us. You know, I've been hurt by my kids. Mm-hmm. I've hurt my kids. Mm-hmm. I've probably hurt our dogs at some point, but they never hurt us, mm. except when they leave.
1: Yes, and we've had that experience three times, yep. right? For the past 24 years, we have had three dogs in our lives. Mm-hmm. And um, our dog, Docker, who first came into our life, um, he passed in 2014, and our dog, Libby, who passed in 2016, and our most recent loss is with Jasmine. And as all of you out there, if you're avid listeners of Couple Synergy, you know that you know Jasmine has been with us for 14 years, and she was a therapy dog. She came and worked with us at our clinic, and she was also our hiking buddy, mm-hmm. too. And we lost her in this past April.
2: Yeah, the space that animals have in our life and in the impact of our health and our enjoyment of life and our purpose and meaning of life is so exponential. Mm -hmm. And I really do, you know, like in, in your dad's culture, they have like a specific word for like my mother's brother Mm -hmm. versus my father's brother. And we don't have a really good word for what it really is. That relationship between a human being and an animal.
1: And, you know, we welcome Dr. Juliana Lyles to our podcast today because she has actually been instrumental in helping all three of our dogs pass mm-hmm. and in a very special way, right? They all passed at home. And, uh, you know, Jul- Dr. Juliana, we really want to thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. And,
0: thank you for having
1: and, me. And, and really, thank you for all the work that you do. And we think it's really important for people out there to really know about the work that you do, because I don't think a lot of people do.
0: I think you're right. And it's such a different experience being at home where they're comfortable, their family can be there, there's no stress of trying to get them into the car, and then they're worried and and just anxious about everything. It's so different being at home. And I do think you're right that people aren't aware it's an option. And I think it's, it's a great option.
2: How did you become a veterinarian? It seems like that's such a wonderful dream that a child would have. And then to actually get to that point, how did you decide that?
0: I, it was a child dream (laughs) that when I was about five, I decided I wanted to be an animal doctor and, um, didn't really waver from that throughout everything schooling. It was always kind of my purpose. I wanted to be an equine veterinarian, work with horses. And I tried a lot of different fields in veterinary medicine. And I did, um, I did externships at Lincoln park zoo and the shed aquarium I did work with horses. I worked at the racetracks at Hawthorne and Arlington Park. And it just wasn't i it wasn't quite my calling. It wasn't really where I felt like I belonged. And after having lost some of my own pets in not such a great way at the vet hospitals, it really made me think, we can do better. There has to be a better, more peaceful way than having them taken away and put the catheter in while they're scared in the back room and, and the whole process, and it just seemed like a better way to do things. And so in 2011, I started trying hospice um, part-time while working part-time at a regular vet hospital and thought, you know what, this is it. This is where I should be. And That's
2: amazing. It's got to be so hard to walk into a family. and
0: It is, and it, it gets really tough. And it's, I the thing that I really focus on is their pet that I go in there and I see somebody who has been loved and cherished and it's time for them to pass away and they get to do it so peacefully. And we give that first pain control, anti-anxiety sedation combo where you just see the pain melting away. They're not worrying Their family's there with them. It's so easy on them, but it's still the people that sometimes I'll get in the car and just cry and think, Oh, that was so hard for them. And I, I feel for the people, but for at least their pet, Man, that was easy and peaceful.
2: That's such a difficult decision. And, you know, as a vet, your patients can't tell you what's happening. And that was the hardest part, like, to have to choose. Is this the right time? Is this best for them? Is it, you know, those are such tough decisions to make.
0: I absolutely agree. And like you say, even about the language that you're there I know there's been a lot of language tossed around. I don't think there's the perfect word. A lot of people use caregiver, that kind of thing, and and you feel like all that responsibility is on you of, yes, when is the right time? I waited too long for my last cat, and so I actually just had to put my cat to sleep a few months ago, and because of my other experiences and knowing what I know now, I didn't wait to the last minute, but I still had that roller coaster of is it time, is it not? Look, she's fine. She's purring. She's eating oh wait, now she's miserable. Oh, but she's okay again. And it, the ups and downs are tough.
2: Yeah. They, they look worse and then they look better. Mm-hmm. And you're like, you know,
1: I you, think, you know, I, I just got to say yeah. that's, that's a little comforting to hear that from a vet
0: <laughs> right, <laughs> that right.
1: you, you didn't know, like, you know, when is that right time? Cause it, it is so hard as far as like, bec- it's because of the relationship that we have with our pets that I, I think that we want them to be better. And, you know, we, we, we struggle with that. Like, are they in pain, you know, or are they still here? We don't want to take away that that time that they might have, right? So it's it's really comforting to hear right. that because, yeah, you know, we went through that with Jasmine.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, I really believe that there is a purpose to the suffering, whether it's a human being or an animal. And I didn't want to take too much of that away from mm. her, whatever her, her natural... Process. But then I started to think, you know, if, if she lived in the wild, she'd been gone a long time ago. Mm-hmm. She would have been, she had dementia and she would get stuck and she would probably stare at a tree or something and something would come and eat her. So you know that. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, and then it's like you are artificially keeping them alive longer than they probably would naturally. But that's a brutal decision. Yeah, and I mean, it was hard for our family members. We are all on different pages.
0: That's tough too. And you're right because everyone has a slightly different viewpoint about what's going on. And and just like you said, this was after being a hospice veterinarian for 10 years, I still struggled with this. And so, I mean, this is literally what I do day in and day out, and it was still tough. And so it is, it's hard to know when. As a
2: vet, are you able to, maybe not recommend, but are you able to tell someone, I think it's time, or is that really something they have to choose?
0: You know, it, that's such a great question, because I hear all the time that people say, oh, my vet said it's just, it's my decision that, you know, they didn't want to weigh on it, in on it everyone has their own way of doing things. I, I respect any veterinarians who think, you know, I don't I don't want to impart my opinion on you. For me personally and, and my doctor team, we like to say when it's time or if it's not. Because I think that's a really, just like we're saying, it's so hard to know. And at least a medical professional saying, if she were my family, I think I would let her go. Or if she were my family, I would try some more treatments and see how she does. Or you know, if she were mine, this is what I would do, I think makes a big impact rather than just, well, it's on you. Good luck. It's too hard.
2: You know, it's interesting when Jasmine, uh, she had a fever and she had some rash. She was 13. We had just uh, brought her back from a rover where she was staying for a week because we were on vacation and she just wasn't right. And we took her to an emergency vet because it was the weekend or something. And they're like... You know, you could think about putting her down right now. They they said, "Oh, she's got anemia and bladder cancer, and
1: like well, she she had a mass in her a bladder, a that mass they in had her found. Brain, right? They they couldn't confirm whether it was cancer or not, but they said that you could like put, in her, that down, moment, put her down. It was now. so
2: shocking, and she's oh, she yeah. was fine. And then they were like, which I thought was pretty harsh. They weren't even like, you know, why don't you check this out? They weren't even our normal vet, you know. And then she lived a year and a half." Longer, mm-hmm.
1: Wow. Right. And I, I did research on, mm-hmm. you know, beagle mixes and if they're, you know, have a bladder mass and you can treat them with this medication and, and studies have shown that it would decrease the, the mass and it, it seemed to keep her kind of stable.
2: You know, that's an interesting time. point that I'd like to ask you about. We actually put her on...
0: peroxicam.
2: Peroxicam. And THC. Great. Mm-hmm.
0: So, a THC and, and <laughs> CBD—it's such a it's such a complex situation. So it's still even CBD, not even the THC, is is a Class One DEA, mm-hmm. and so veterinarians are not allowed to prescribe it or even discuss using it for treatment. And it's such a—you know—I think we all assume who on earth is going to enforce this and and come after your your DEA license or your vet license. And so they probably won't. Um, I'm probably more on the cautious side of things. But I will also say that for my own personal cat, when she wasn't doing well, I got the CBD. It wasn't a THC one, but I think it helped her. And mm-hmm. I think I think there is a great potential for using this drug for many, many reasons, many diseases. And it's underutilized because of that classification. I think it'd be much more widely utilized once they fix that,
2: mm-hmm. yeah, our vet would just go, "Whatever you're doing, keep doing because yeah. it's working, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so you have to find some loophole to to say mm-hmm. that's a good idea." Yeah, and that was that that gave us like another tool because that you were doing the research online and right. and all these studies were saying specifically for the tumor in the bladder that it was great really mm-hmm. helpful yeah. and we 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 do think so too and right. i think she was more comfortable good
0: and,
1: and the mass yeah. never grew
0: Mm-mm. which it, is amazing it stayed the same that long. Yeah. I mean, yeah and she
1: ended up passing from dementia yeah how many vets are actually doing this hospice type care
0: i think very few very yeah. few because they have they have a conference every year and um that even that has only been going on. There's only been a hospice organization for about 10 years. And so, you know, the first year of the conference had like 20 people. <laughs> the next oh, year wow. it was like 60. It's getting more each year, but um, it's just not very many. I know off the top of my head, I can think of in the Chicagoland area, probably five or less. Wow. I mean, it's, wow. it's a tiny number.
2: Yeah. I would think that the way that family's view animals today is much different than when i was a kid when i was a kid it was the dog and the dog was separate from the family it had some privileges some not and i think most people who have animals now i mean those animals are in their beds they're going on vacation with them they're everywhere they mm-hmm. they have plenty of like tap houses you bring your dog and mm-hmm. they're so much more included and more elevated to a level of family member
0: rather than a pet I think you're right. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that too is one of those, um, I was in North Carolina before moving to coming back home to Chicagoland and it was, it was a very different atmosphere and it's nice. Personally, I like this way a bit better where they are, like you say, going on vacation, going on the, you know, to the tap houses to hang out and have lunch and they have little outfits on and it's raining. Let me put on his little rain jacket. His you know, little booties. It's exactly, oh, it's snowing here. You know? Yeah. All those things. I think it's it makes a big difference and i do think that i think that hospice medicine will get more popular as time goes on and and we see it already is there's a huge veterinarian shortage and so across the board and um you know i don't know if that's just a reflection of there aren't enough vets anywhere let alone you know one particular field like hospice it might be it might be kind of a reflection of that there just aren't enough vets in in general can you define what
2: you mean by hospice cuz i probably think it's a little different than people hospice
0: and we take a lot of the definitions from from veterinary hospice from people hospice which hasn't been a a, you know medical field for very long either recognized specialty or anything and so we define it as i know there's an actual definition that i probably should know more precisely but it's end of life care and it's mostly focused on palliative care and so we're not treating the bladder mass we're not treating the disease but we are palliating it, making it better, focusing on the quality of life. And so even one of the things that we run into a lot is treating the symptoms, but potentially worsening the disease. And and sort of the classic example is an older lab or a bigger dog like that who has very bad arthritis, and they also maybe have the start of liver disease or the start of kidney disease. And so you know, a lot of times it will be, oh gosh, we don't want to put them on any medications because it could worsen their kidneys. But in the meantime, they're miserable and they're painful and their quality of life is poor. And so a lot of times we'll say, you know what, I'm not worried about that. He will not pass away from the kidney disease. He won't pass away from the liver disease. He will be put to sleep because because he hurts. And so let's mm. get him comfortable and we'll see where it goes. And it, it's it's kind of a great concept that we get almost the easy part of things that, you know, we just get to make them feel better and, and kind of not worry about some of the other consequences, which is which is great to see that old dog that I I remember one of my cases that I had started on some other medications. They'd called me out. It was a euthanasia. We ended up making, you know, a hospice visit. And the next day the the client called me crying and I thought, Oh no, we didn't, it didn't work. It's miserable. And now we have to rush out there and put him to sleep. She was crying because she was so happy that her, her old painful, poor, miserable little guy was acting like a puppy again in just a day from from changing medications. It was, Just phenomenal! I, I love being able to do that. That's awesome.
2: It is so painful to watch your. Yeah. You know, there was a movie I can't remember the name of it, and they had, they had, they called their animals their familiar, but it was like each person had a, an animal, almost like a totem or, um, a guide, mm-hmm. and they called them the familiar. Maybe that's a fun, a fun word, but it is a special bond, and you. It's so powerless and helpless to watch them be in pain. And um, and it is it is tricky. You know, our vet, I, I really was uncomfortable bringing her in the last year. And they wanted her to have blood work every couple months. And, and she was on medication, so we kind of had to because that's not a good medication to just stop. But they would do full exams. I'm like,
0: why you put her through that? Yes. That was hard. It's so tough because it's such a, in that, the, you know, general practice mindset, it's okay, we have to do everything really thoroughly, do the blood work, do the full exam, you know, dot the I's and cross the T's and everything else. And, and I think once you cross into that hospice time, you know, mindset instead, it's, it is different. And it took me a while to kind of get there too. It was just, I want to diagnose everything. I want to see what, you know, what is the blood work looking like? And we used to have a, an Antech account, a blood work account. And so we would you know, take blood and and send it off to the lab. And then I realized it doesn't matter. (laughs) You know, I see sometimes the blood work looks terrible, but meanwhile, the dog looks great or vice Mm -hmm. versa. And so it was kind of a, well, this isn't really giving us usable information. Mm -hmm. And so we just let it lapse and don't do that anymore. Is hospice
2: a legal term like it is for people? So when my dad Mm -hmm. was in hospice, it was like saying, okay, we know he's got a terminal illness and whatever we're doing to treat him, if that may or may not help him cross over, no one's going to look at it because we're in this legal bubble. Is that the same? Like you can then dial back some of that stuff, and then if they pass, everyone knows that's where we're headed?
0: You know, it it isn't yet. Mm. Um, And it's still not a recognized specialty in veterinary medicine too. You can't be board certified in veterinary hospice yet. I think it will head that way. Um, I think because there's a lot of, you know, the legalities of veterinary medicine are a lot less strict than than human medicine. And so I think it's, um, you know, we kind of just define it as we're all on the same page emotionally, mentally, but not not necessarily legally.
1: I find it amazing, though, that everyone that we talked to about Jasmine passing, they were like, wait, the vet came to
2: your house? Yeah, people don't know. Yeah,
1: because like I've been hearing stories all through COVID where people had to go to the vet, they had to say goodbye in their car, yeah, and then they brought their pet into the hospital, and that was it.
2: Well, and this is how we're connected to gentle goodbye, right? Because we had that with, with Doctor and is, Libby,
1: which is the name of Doctor Juliana's practice. Mm-hmm. A, a gentle goodbye. <laughs> just clarification out there.
2: So we had that with Doctor and with Libby and because of COVID, you know, that the idea of non-COVID times, but just being at a vet and walking out without an animal and everybody knows what you just went through and you see all them with their pets. I'm like, I'm so glad we never had had that right. experience. Yeah. Yes. Walking
0: out with just the leash and the collar, yeah. and you're exactly right. And I know, again, people, they try so hard and they put little candles that means, okay, try and keep the, you know, laughter down and things like that. But it's still, there's... You, You can't make it okay. No. You know, it's not Mm -hmm. home. Yeah.
2: And I remember our our first dog that we had to go through this with, he was our son's dog and our son moved to Washington, D.C. And so we really had to make a decision in a way that he could come back and be here for that. And I know that was so hard for him because he didn't get to see the last year of his life. Mm-hmm. Not regular, on a regular basis and of all he was going through. And he really felt really bad. He's like, I, I feel like I killed my dog. Oh. And I, I think when he saw Jasmine, he got to see that, no, Docker was even it was older sure. and for right. a longer period of time. And that's such a, a hard feeling to have of when is the right time. And to have our family together and actually we had a couple of days. We set an appointment.
1: We, we actually had a party the night before. We did. Uh-huh. We had all of extended family. They were able to come over and say goodbye to him and everything, which was really awesome. Yeah. You know, it, it wasn't something that was just quick and hasty. And, you know, it, we had this whole process. And, I mean, he was 17 yeah. years Amazing. old. <laughs>
2: and your nieces and nephews didn't have their own dogs. Right. And so he was the only dog in the whole mm-hmm. extended family at the time. and. hmm and so the, and at pla- the, time, the planning's tough. And at but- the
1: time, your company was called Lap of Love. Yes. And, it, you know, I, we found out about your company through someone, right? It mm-hmm. was a, a, a referral from, I think, a client. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep.
2: And, and she went through that. And I, I'm not sure if it was you. Probably it was you. It was in thir- 2013, probably. And I remember she said, you know, you know I, I was on the phone with the vet, and she stayed with me, and... It was kind of like an overnight sort of thing before she was ready. And just the amount of comfort you brought to her in that time was really awesome.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes. That's
0: good. Yeah. And that is all the times like we talked about how hard this gets and it does get so difficult. And then I hear that and it feels like, okay, this is, I can get yeah. through those tough times because that, that's amazing.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. and I And I remember when with Docker,
2: you gave him some some gummy or something, like something to chew. Yes. Does that, And that puts them to sleep a little bit?
0: So it, they're just treats. Okay. And so it's just a little distraction. Mm-hmm. And so we, we do a number of things too because a lot of our patients are, they're really uncomfortable because at the end, you know, things are just not working how they should be and, and everything seems to get worse and worse almost exponentially toward the end. And so we, we use this tiny needle. We go in the, the location with really low sensation by their back end um, we add a buffering agent, so that, you know the the solution doesn't sting. Um, we've recently, most of most patients, we've used a a shot blocker as well. I don't know if you guys are familiar with this. It's mm. um, it's a human product. I've never heard of someone using it on animals, and we thought, well, let's give it a try. It basically, it's just like a little plastic, um, like a sheet, and it has little pokey parts on the bottom. And the, the idea is you put it over the location where the shot is going to go and um, use it for like vaccines and things normally. And like for kids or anybody who doesn't like needles. And it kind of tricks the brain into not realizing there will be one more poke. And so mm. it's kind of just like almost like the underside of um, one of those, those mats that you put under a chair mm-hmm. with the little carpet, mm-hmm. little pokies or like cleats, something like that. And so that's kind of the idea. And so we use that too and, and kind of everything just to make it. So it overwhelms
1: yeah. the, nerve, the nerves right. in that area. Yes. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's, it's I've great. never
2: seen that. Nobody's ever offered that to me. I know. <laughs> I strongly recommend it.
0: I used it for my flu vaccine. I got Perfect. it for my kids, but it was like, oh my gosh, it's a huge difference. And like where do you m-
2: get those? Is Do you have to be a medical person to get those? No.
0: And I, I don't, I try to shop local where I can, but I can only find them on Amazon. You had to buy them like fifty at a time.
2: So people that are like diabetic, like children. Yes. Wow. Yeah, that's a game changer. changer. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. exactly. Yeah, it
0: really is. And so you know all the little things, and then say a little treat just to here focus on this, Mm -hmm. and all the little things that Mm -hmm. I think you know make a difference. Yeah.
2: The hospice, obviously, the tail end is actually helping them cross over, right? Mm -hmm. Which, you know, we we were very conscious of that, like with Jasmine who was my son's dog, him and I went together to buy a plant and, you know, kind of prepared. We bathed her. You know, it was kind of nice to have a little ceremony around Mm -hmm. because we do that for human beings and for animals. Again, we have nothing, no language, no uh, ritual to help with that pain.
0: Right, and, and that's so true that even with humans we have a funeral or some kind of memorial service or some something just to, to memorialize them, to remember them, and to just show how important they were to us. And you're right that mostly we don't have that for our pets, and I think that makes it harder.
1: Which I have to give you and your staff kudos for because for Jasmine you guys had a, a eulogy on your Facebook page and everything for her, and it just it really makes it so much more special, you know, and it's a hard thing to go through as it is. But, you know, your staff and how you approach this is, it's so much more helpful, you know, for all of us, you know, that that we're going through
2: it. Yeah.
0: Well, thank you. We do. We try to not just, okay, hospice is over or the euthanasia is over. See you later. Call us the next time someone's sick. You know, we do. We try to make it, uh, we're here for you. And, you know, even if it's just we usually try and give a phone call about two weeks later and just, Hey, we're here because some people don't have a good outlet and just want someone else to tell stories about their little pup or, Oh, my cat used to do this. And it, it's hard if you don't have that outlet. And so we want people to know we're, we're here still. And so we try.
2: The other thing that you did, which I thought was really wonderful is you contacted the vet that she was going to, yes. to let them know. So we're not getting like appointment reminders or, Hey, it's time for this. And, that is like one thing you just don't really feel like doing. Yes. And <laughs> so
0: that's awesome too. The reason we started doing that was, again, that my my previous cat, when I had to put her to sleep at her vet office, which was an ER at the, you know, after hours and a regular vet office during the day, um, I had to rush her in on emergency. And so, you know, it was terrible. And they sent me a reminder about vaccines. And I didn't realize how hard it would be until mm. I got that little. And it was, it was a while ago before email was as much of a thing. And so, you know, a little postcard in the mail was just, oh, it was tough. Yeah. And so, yeah, we, we try to make sure it's at least not, you know, one tough reminder that people just don't need. Yeah.
2: So do you actually have an office and you practice out of or do you, are you mobile?
0: We are. All the doctors are mobile. We do have um, just a, a little office in Northbrook that we don't see patients there. Um, we just moved there a few months ago, actually. We had an office, used another office building. We moved there because we are starting our aqua cremation, um, adding that into our, our practice, hopefully within the next few months or so. And so we needed a place where we could have that. Okay, um, you got to tell us what that is. <laughs> you yeah. can't just throw that out there like it's a normal term everyone right? talks about. So right now, we, when we take a pet. We have um, a wonderful crematory that we use and they take care of the cremation and then we get the the pet's ashes back to the family or not, whichever they would prefer. And so what we're going to be doing instead is actually handling that ourselves just from start to finish. And instead of flame cremation, it's water-based cremation. And so it's just this really green, eco-friendly alternative. And so I think that will also be the way of the future. I really do. I think that flame cremation will, will go away and, and water-based cremation will kind of take over. So how does that work? So it uses um, just warm water and pressure and salt. And people will ask, you know, oh my gosh, is it acid? And no, it's not that at all. It's, it's very similar to the process that the body would naturally go through if you buried it. And so um, the, the process of cremation basically takes the body down to just the bones Mm-hmm. And so um that's exactly what if the flame cremation it, some bits are lost and things like that um and then the the bones are made into the the ash that we get back normally.
1: They're, they're actually ground. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah and, and most people don't know that. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: And it's kind of a touchy subject because it's yeah. hard and I know some people don't want to know the logistics. They don't want to know the, the you know details about things but uh, yeah it, that's exactly what it is. And so with the water cremation, it's the salt and the the pressure and the the warm water. And it takes longer where flame cremation is maybe, you know, a couple hours to to four hours or so. The um, water-based cremation is about 18 hours. So, you know, it's a a longer process, but it's really gentle. And then when that process is finished, then it's just the, the bones as well, which are then ground up and returned as ashes. And it ends up being about 20% Twenty percent more ashes back because you don't lose as much in, in the process of things, which is kind of nice. And it's more green, mm-hmm. very green. Mm-hmm. And it is, um, you know, there's zero greenhouse gas emissions. It's about a tenth the carbon footprint compared to the flame based. Um, the everything that that you know, the byproducts of it are all safe. Um, you know, nothing toxic or harmful. Um, it's like I say, not a whole lot of downside. <laughs>
1: That's that's amazing. That's amazing, yeah. Yeah.
2: So when you help an animal cross, what are the options? And what should people consider of what they do with the remains?
0: So what we offer is, you know, our doctor takes takes your, your pet right with her, and then they're either cremated just by themselves, so you can have their ashes back to you, or they're cremated with other pets, and then their ashes are scattered, so you don't get anything back. Or if you want us to leave the pet, then, then they can, if their local ordinances say that is acceptable and, and legally fine, then they can bury them. Um, some people have a very nice little resting spot in their backyard or, or wherever, you know, fits, which is nice.
2: So those are the options. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and again, it's all done for you or it's done with you, which is you you get to be such a big part of the process and, you know, be able to plan a little bit to have your family members around one of our dogs libby she was actually crossing that day oh wow and we were able to call and somebody was there within an hour oh great and i remember picking our son up from school and so he could be here you'd been with her already for seven or eight hours
1: yeah she just she woke me up like in the middle of the night and something was not right you know and she wanted to go outside, I let her outside. She came back in and she just laid down on the on the carpet right inside. And that that's it was not like her. So it was very kind of surprising, you know. She she had lost weight, but it was it wasn't noticeable, right? Because it was like
2: She's pretty furry.
1: Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so it, it she just let us let me know that I'm just not moving anymore.
2: Yeah, so we had different scenarios of it's time she's in pain, and you, you guys were like, boom, right there. And then the other two, we actually set dates and times, mm-hmm. and we're able to plan a little bit more. So those are all the options. you know. How soon should someone call and try to get information, or what should they do?
0: Honestly, I think the sooner the better, because even just emotionally preparing yourself for, okay, I just got this diagnosis, maybe I have six months left, at least you can kind of emotionally brace yourself or plan out logistics. It's hard because sometimes we are available. We can be there within a few hours even, but then sometimes it's, Oh my gosh, we're booked up for three days. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we, we kind of suggest about two to three days notice is, is usually pretty good. But, um, you know, the tough part is like, we have this, this hospice conference coming up next week. And so one of our doctors will be out. And so, you know, we'll probably get booked more quickly, which is tough. And, um, you know, we, we try to fit in the ability to help as many families as we possibly can, but we're small, you know, there's just, there's just a few of us, it's myself and three other doctors. And so, um, you know, we can only do so much. And so we, we, we try, but you know, basically the sooner the better. And, you know, sometimes what we get also, we always tell people if you're not sure if it seems like, gosh, the time might be coming, you can always give us a call and see, okay, what is this week looking like? Or how are the next few days? Does it seem like I'd be able to come in? And Um, because sometimes too, it's, you know, if you have a big 150 pound dog or you live very far away from our area, um, you know, it just is tougher to, to be able to make it peaceful and be able to get out there. And so, you know, it always helps to have as much notice as possible, I guess. Do most veterinarians know about this service? I don't think they do. (laughs) I really don't. (laughs) It's just so so amazing. Yes. Yes. And it was, you know, it's interesting when I, I first moved back here in 2012, I kind of made it my full-time job. I, I just started up, you know, the business lap of love of Chicagoland, which is no longer our name. As you we said, we're now a gentle goodbye. But at that time, I I just marketed to vet hospitals of, hey, I'm here and I do this. And um, it, it took off fairly quickly, but I still think Chicagoland is so big. Mm-hmm. You, know, you just can't get to everybody. And I think it's at least when people know the options, you can choose you know, this is for me or no, I I feel more comfortable at the vet's office or whatever the case may be. But at least knowing you have the option, I think is good.
2: That's why we wanted to do this podcast because it was such a big impact in our lives and our, especially with our kids, because especially with Jasmine, people were, had different feelings like, you know, she had dementia. It wasn't like her body was bad, uh, mm-hmm. but then it was kind of her quality of life and us being ready.
0: Dementia, just what we said it too. It's so hard because if her body is fine, it's easy to look at her and say, "Oh, she's fine. It's not time yet." And especially when there are, you know, adult children who have a, a legitimate voice, then it, it's hard to kind of convince someone, "No, it is the time to put her to sleep." When they can say, "No, no, it's not," because no one wants it to be the time. Mm-hmm. You know, we all want the answer to be, "No, she'll have years left." And it, you know, the reality is that's just not the case. Mm-hmm. And and even to go back to your point about seeing how losing weight and things like that, it's very subtle. Mm
2: -hmm. And so that's what
0: one of the big things we do with our hospice visits is we'll we'll give people a little calendar and have them mark down certain things like, okay, um, you know, a measuring tape around, or if it's someone small, okay, weigh them and and mark that weight every week because things kind of creep up on you, and it's not that much worse from one day to the next. And so kind of trying to look at the whole picture helps a little bit.
2: That makes sense.
1: That yeah, makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
2: because I don't think it was until you picked her up that you realized how light she was. Yeah, yeah. Because her she has a lot of fur. It's a black lab. right? Mm-hmm.
0: And so you don't see it, and mm-hmm. even you know, petting her. I mean, you don't pet her hips necessarily, or the places where she's lost the the most weight.
1: Yeah, that that was the most traumatic passing for me. Yeah, I know. Yeah, and and because she was it here was familiar. Yeah, oh. and and because you know it was so quick. You know, it, it wasn't like we got the diagnosis or we saw that progression with Jasmine and, you know, with Docker and stuff. So mm-hmm. she, didn't, she didn't give me that, that option no. at all. No, it was really like that day. Right, yeah. But the whole process of, you know, your company coming here, that made it so much, so much easier, you know, to handle because I couldn't imagine going to a vet and having to you couldn't have walk even out. driven
0: the car that day.
1: No, no, I was just gone. Yeah, Yeah.
0: and that's a good point. Yeah. I mean, very realistically, driving back home after that, and yeah. uh, you know, it, it's not a it's not a great option. And right. when we say you know it's so easy, it's so peaceful for her, it's true. You know, it really is. It's mm-hmm. for you know the family. It still isn't. I don't think anything makes that okay. But at least having it be easy for your for your familiar, for your, for maybe whatever mm-hmm. your your preferred term is, I think it really does help. What areas do you service? We kind of go most anywhere in Chicagoland-ish. Um, we have a, a service area where, um, there's no driving fee and that's kind of where we generally are, which is like 290, um, and, uh, like route 59 out by like Barrington-ish and then up by, like 176 to the north kind of, you know, Libertyville area um, and the lake. But um, we we go outside of that pretty routinely. There just is a driving fee for being outside of it. Um, the All of our team, veterinary licenses are state by state, and we're only licensed in Illinois, even though, I mean, Wisconsin just isn't that far, but none of us have a, a license for right. anything in Illinois. I mean, we have every once in a while it'll be... Somewhere so far away, and um, can't think of any examples, but the ones where it's a, you know a two-hour drive, and like Burlington and, or yeah, Decal, right? Yeah. Yes, yeah, Decal. That's that's a great one because we get that sometimes, and that's where it's tough too. Of you know, if we can help them, okay, great. But sometimes that's that's a lot tougher to say. Can you come out today? Because chances are we we probably can't. We just you know logistically can't make the driving work. And so this isn't
2: something that you can call someone into DeKalb and say, Hey, can you guys go do this?
0: If I knew someone, I would. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um,
2: Cause they'd have to be willing to do that kind of work.
0: Right. And th- the tough part is we have really high standards. As you guys know, mm-hmm. we want things to go a very specific way. And it's been years in the making of the little pain control combo. We use all of the things, even, you know, adding in the shot blocker, the the pH buffer, so it doesn't sting. All those things, and then the follow up, and, and all of those that I think are really important. And so, it's hard to just call someone up and say, "Can you just you know go give that dog a shot?" You know, it's not really an equivalent, and that that's kind of a tough. I want them to have the same mindset of, "This is somebody's family member. You have to treat them right. You have to care. You have to have a good option for their aftercare." Um, you know, and a, oh, and a
1: good bedside manner and too. A good bedside
2: manner. Yeah. <laughs> that's true. And yeah. you guys also do the paw print, and with Jasmine they did the fur, mm-hmm. little piece of fur, which is it's just a nice kind of thing to have. And our son put uh, a shadow box with her mm-hmm. collar and her therapy vest and those things, and it's hanging in the office for the people that you know she helped.
0: I love that. Yeah, yeah. I think it, it's nice too that we we've tried a million different kinds of clay, even because some of them are better than others. And we used to have clay that you would bake and people would say you know i overbaked it and then it cracked and that's mm. just like oh my gosh it's like a yeah. loss all over again and mm-hmm. so we just like you know that we leave them right there at the time and so it's nice to have those little physical you know keepsakes even before if you're getting their their ashes back mm-hmm. even before that just you know a little piece of them with you which is nice it is
1: yeah all those touches really mm-hmm. really make a difference you know i was thinking that in rural areas you know, if you're in a rural area right now listening, I'm sure that this isn't like a shock or a surprise to you, right? When you think about the town, like small town vet, you know, that may be taking care of your horses or livestock, they come to your farm, they come to your place, right? And so probably in those areas, it's this is, yeah. you know, not a thing, mm-hmm. right? But I in the it. urban areas, that that's why I, I think most people don't know about that, either.
2: yeah. And there are so many, many, many more uh, families with animals that we see like all the time. I mean, in Chicago, everyone seems to have a dog and they're out and they're about and they're just a bigger part of our world. So it's it's a growing part of our civilization. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of people and a lot of people are.
1: Is there a, a financial difference, you know, br- bringing your dog to, you know, the vet and putting them to sleep there versus, you know, your service coming to the house.
0: There is, yes. And we are typically more expensive, Mm -hmm. almost always. And um, we try to have really transparent pricing where our our prices are all on the website because it is, and that's where sometimes it's not the best option for people that if, you know, because cost is always a concern. And if it's, you know, okay, I I don't think that it's going to be financially in our best interest to have someone come to the house. No problem. That way you can can see what it'll cost Mm. and, and you don't have to, you know, necessarily call up and ask, things like that. Um, I would say it's probably, you know, it varies a lot, but we're probably maybe a third or even, maybe even twice as expensive as bringing them in. And it is just, you know, a house call by the veterinarian. And so, you know, we can only help probably about four families in a day. And, you know, which is pretty different than your vet hospital that typically sees an appointment every literally every 15 minutes.
2: If you had to give like a range... Of you know about what it would cost, what would the range be?
0: So ours, I and I think our prices are pretty similar to to you know other places around. But our euthanasia it starts at three hundred fifty five dollars during a weekday if you're within our service area. Um, the aftercare is starts at at seventy five dollars if you want them cremated with other pets and their ashes scattered, and starts at two twenty five if you would like them privately cremated. And the the price varies by weight a little bit. Um, there is a charge for an evening or a weekend um after seven p m is a bit more as well um, so I think that's important because it's not thousands of dollars right, right. and you've probably spent a whole bunch
2: on care for your for your pet anyways, and so it's it's i think it's extremely affordable and' extremely valuable I think so. Mm-hmm. I'm biased yeah <laughs> but I think it's like
0: you say it's not thousands it probably Four to six to maybe seven hundred depending on you know factors, but which is is pricey compared to some things, but you're right. It, compared to what you what you spend, especially at the end on medications and all those things, not so bad.
2: Do you have a particular story that you remember that
0: you'd want to share about helping an animal crossover? Oh, my gosh, I feel like I have so many. One that, that really stuck with me that was multiple years ago that it was a um, just a very sweet uh, mixed breed dog, kind of like a, a lab type guy. And his family had said, oh my gosh, he's so painful. He's just been so miserable. You know, this has been awful. He was lying in, in his bed, his little dog bed. And when I went to give him that pain control combo, the first thing that they feel is the pain control and then the anti-anxiety part and then last is the sedation. And so I gave him this pain control combo he actually stood up and he hadn't been up in, they said, at least two days. And it was a disagreement, but whether it was a day and a half or two days, they were kind of, they couldn't remember, but at least a day and a half. He stood up and rearranged, did a little kind of circle, wagged his tail, and laid back down. And you could just see his little face of, oh, uh, nothing hurts. This is phenomenal. And, and they, they were just so thrilled too, saying, on top of not having been able to get up, they couldn't remember the last time he had wagged his tail. Mm. And that was a a pretty poignant, gosh, what an amazing, you know, end for him of talk about peaceful and not not in pain, no worrying. And that was a, even when we don't see them show such, you know, significant signs to us of, oh, I feel so much better, knowing that that's what happens is huge. And I think that's a, that was, that one stuck with me. Like I say, it's probably been at least six years and that one just, I just smile when I think about him. Yeah, that's got to be
2: such a comfort for the family to say, okay, he's feeling better and this is really the the path and he needs to go and and he's ready. Yeah, Mm -hmm. That's a good feeling. Yeah. How could someone get in touch with you?
0: So probably the easiest way, they can give us a call at any point or um, give us an email or a website. Our phone number is 224-442-4427. Our website is agentlegoodbye.com. Um, you can email us reception at a Our website has a lot of good info. There's also a little, um, contact us form where you can put in. I know it's sometimes hard to make that phone call and so you can also text us. Um, and so a lot of times an email or filling out that form helps you don't, you don't have to worry about talking to a person and breaking down because we get it. And sometimes just the electronic communication is a little bit easier. Yeah, that makes sense. And you'll put that in the show notes. Absolutely,
1: right. And that's for everyone in the Chicagoland area, mm-hmm. in, in mm-hmm. Illinois. For people who are not in this state, right, how can they find a vet that does this type of work?
0: I Probably their best bet is to talk to their regular veterinarian because I do think that a lot of them are at least aware of the the options or the people around them that do it. Sometimes pre-COVID at least, the veterinarians would be able to, to make a house call for someone that's close to the vet hospital. Um, it's a little different for us because we are kind of all over and, and you know we don't have a ton of time, but most people typically live fairly close to their vet hospital. And so sometimes the veterinarian can come out to the house. Um, and in that case, you already know them, you know their bedside manner, they're, they're already good with your pet. Um, but that's probably the best option is, is just to ask their vet if they know anybody.
2: You know, we were chatting a little bit before we started recording and we were talking about the difference between someone that's really good at this work and potentially someone that isn't in the same in our field, someone that's good mm-hmm. at working with couples and someone who's not. And there's no kind of way to know that. And I can say we have had an awesome experience with your company and it's well, thank you. it's been wonderful for us.
0: Thank three. You. That means, three awesome yeah, experiences, yeah. right? Yeah. And that does, yeah. it. that means a lot. And I do think that, um, you know, looking at, at reviews online and taking them with a grain of salt, because obviously sometimes people are just upset and they're, they're sad. And mm-hmm. so it comes out in different ways, but, um, at least gives you kind of a ballpark of, gosh, everyone says that this vet was very short or they weren't, Um, they care how tall they are (laughs) (laughs) as a short person myself, (laughs) thankfully it's okay. (laughs) But yeah, they're really, um, you know, taking the time and things like that really, sometimes you can get a sense of it. Sometimes you can't.
1: Dr. Juliana, we want to thank you so much for being on our podcast today.
0: Well, thank you for having me. I've enjoyed chatting with you guys. I think this is such an important topic that I do think people should know more about and it should be, you know, more widely talked about
2: yeah you do awesome work you've got to sleep good at night it's got to feel good even though it's tough work well thank you but at that time in someone's life it's really important so thank you yes
1: and we've always said that you know in the end the only thing that really matters are is our relationships and so our I, relationships with our pets That's why i like you that know.
2: rainbow bridge idea yeah mm-hmm. you know yeah it's beautiful
1: Well, we want to wholeheartedly thank you, all our listeners, for joining us on Couples Synergy today. Our passion is in helping couples and people have happy and healthy relationships. And this podcast gives us a fun way of bringing our knowledge and expertise to you, our listeners.
2: This topic is really important. And if you know someone who could benefit from this episode, please share it because I don't think enough people know about this, and it makes a really big difference. Absolutely. Mm -hmm.
1: For all of you listening, please subscribe to our podcast and please leave us a review. If you have any questions, comments, or topic suggestions, please email us at contact at couplesynergy.com. For more information about Couples Synergy and our programs, such as Relationship 101, the home study course, the Couples Weekend Intensive, our online membership called Connections, and our premier program called Couple to Couple, look us up online at CouplesSynergy.com.
2: And thank you for listening.
1: And thank you for listening. Until next time, synergize your life and synergize your love.
0: You have been listening to Couple Synergy with Dr. Ray and Jean Ketkodian Couple Synergy was recorded, edited, and produced by Dr. Ray and Jean Ketkodian Voiceover and music entitled Breathe and Let Go was recorded and composed by Gina Gonzalez.